Amen and amen. All right, well, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And as you know, we have been going through this portion of Scripture now for some time. And uh, we will continue to do so. And to let you know that everything that you need, everything that we could ever want, is already included. Everything included. Batteries are included. Lifespan is included. It's not like that, what was it that one time I saw an ad? Uh, instant water. Just add water. Okay, you don't have to add your own stuff to anything that God has given you. This instant water, this dehydrated water, you, you can get as much water as you want. If you want a quart of water, well, you just add a quart of water. If you want a gallon of water, you want 50 gallons, just add according to what you need. Well, that's not the way God works. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't dole out His blessings to us a little bit here and a little bit there. We talked about that last week. The richness of His redemption, the things that He has given us, He gives it to us all at once. All at once, and it's given to us, and, and, and we have the salvation in Christ. We have uh, our inheritance in Christ. We have the riches that He gives us in Christ. It's all been given to us. And what Paul goes on to say here, he says, you know, I just want to thank God for you. Because you get it. I want to thank God for what you have done and what you are doing even now. Because you understand. And it's hard for those that have not committed their life to Christ to see it or to even understand it. As a matter of fact, to some people, they might say and they might even think, you know, I don't even know why you go to church. I don't even know why you continue to pray. I don't even know why you do the things that you do. It just doesn't make any sense. And it won't. It won't make sense. But Paul is praying and thanking the people in Ephesus and the surrounding cities. He says, I thank my God for you because you get it. You understand that it's all included and you're living it out in your life. And I pray that, that God just continue to open the eyes of your heart, to open your eyes of your understanding, that, that you understand and you see that this hope that you have, not this wish, but this expectation that you have, that, that you'll be able to, to, to express it and explain it and, and uh, exist under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so those are some of the things that Paul talks about in this portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to go from verses 15 to 23. And I'm going to read these aloud out of my Bible. It's the English Standard Version. Read out of your Bible. And if you have to, go ahead and open up a, a phone app and read along with us. And if you, if you have a phone app, just uh, remember that we have, uh, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is the ESV. And if you would like to follow along that way or in your favorite translation as well. This portion of scripture already on the top of my uh, paragraph states, Thanksgiving and prayer. This is Paul's heart. And he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture, for the mind that you gave Paul, the ability to be able to look at the Old Testament and see who Jesus Christ is and who, and who he is to us and to him, and to be able to end these words so that we, centuries later, can sit here and read this portion of scripture within the public reading, within the church context, within our homes, privately. Father, I just thank you that you've preserved your word up to this point. Help us to be on point to what you've given us today and to show and to, and to see and to share and to, to understand what it is that you've given us. 
Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and your provision in all things, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen and Amen. All right. Welcome. They got the kids over there. Elisa, can you help? If, if you want. You can keep them here if you'd like. We love kids. Hi, Adam. <laughs> for this reason, Paul says, well, we, we, for those of you that weren't here last week, when Paul is saying for this reason, some of you are probably thinking, well, what reason is he talking about? Well, you got to go back and look at the, look what we talked about last week about the riches of God's grace, the richness of redemption, the things that God has given you. As a believer, he's, he's already blessed you with an inheritance. He's already given you all that you need. It's already there. And what, what Paul is saying is, is, you know, for this reason, you understand this. You've gotten this. You've already grabbed on to the fact that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit and the seal, the importance of it. Two things I want you to take away from it today. There were four things that we talked about. But two things. Number one is you're protected by that seal. Nobody can open, take away, or anything on that seal. When the wax was melted on a, on a document, when it was melted on top of whatever it was that this king or the person in authority was trying to to protect, he put his seal on it, and he says, if that seal is broken, the person who breaks it will have to answer to me. And you are protected. And not only did it mean protection, but you're also his possession. This belongs to me. When you give yourself to Jesus Christ, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, when you understand that he has become your Lord, he becomes your Savior. And many of us, we'll talk about this here in just a little bit, many of us understand the concept of Savior, but the concept of Lord is a little bit different, a little harder for us to comprehend. What does that mean to make Jesus Christ Lord? And so because of what Paul has talked about, all the inheritance and how you've been sealed, you've been protected and you're his possession and how you are now his the one thing Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And when a person understands who he is, it's difficult to try to figure out what to do in life. And many young people today are wandering around wondering, what cause can I give myself to? And this cause over here is loud, and they're going up against this one thing, this evil. I will give myself to that. And once that, that is over, there's another cause. And you'll constantly find causes. The one thing that people don't understand is that they try to get involved in as many causes as possible to be able to say they've accomplished many things in life. Problem is, is that some of these causes only last as long as, well, as long as they're there. If, if you've been around as long as I have, we've fought a lot of causes. You know, we've, you know, I remember the Vietnam War. I remember the, the Korean War. Not that I was there, but I remember these things. I remember there's a lot of things that we have been fighting against. The, the wall of Berlin that came down. That was a huge cause. You, you know, and then during the 60s and the 70s, you know, there were, there were other things that we used to fight for. Every time, you know, every time you turn around, there is a cause to fight for. The problem is that if you don't know who you are, then you're going to end up following and fighting a cause. Right now, there's huge causes and there's big things out there that seem to be worldwide, which they are, and some of them have even dominated your life. And, and some of you are wondering, okay, so, so this is the cause right now. I have to fight against, uh, well, you, you, you pick your whatever social media or social uh, agenda you want to pick. But ultimately, all of this in the world, all of this is superseded by the one thing that God is already trying to do. It's not that he's trying, but it's, it's, he's in the process of doing. And the one thing is that at the end, Jesus Christ comes and everything is abolished. Everything that I fought for, everything that you've desired to do, everything you voted for or against, everything on this planet will be gone, wasted. The end will come. But somehow... We are being drawn in to these agendas of the world. We're being drawn in to these social uh, justices that we have to write. We are drawn into everything around us. And if you don't know who you are, well, yes, you'll fight for all these injustices. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some things out there that are just bad. But that's just the way the world is. People ask all the time, why is there evil? This is a broken planet. 
This planet is broken, and this planet one day will see its end. When Jesus Christ returns, it's all wiped away. The heavens will be opened up like a scroll. The Bible says, this earth will be burned away. And only those things that you do for Jesus Christ will last. And so Paul is excited about these people in Ephesus and the surrounding regions. I love the fact that you've placed your faith, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you express this in such a powerful way. That you express this in such a a magnificent way that by serving Jesus Christ, he has become your Lord, your master. He has become the one that you are now following and taking directions from. You have followed this law for the last 4,000 years. This law that was given to Moses. And you're trying to appease God by these laws that he's given you with the sacrifice of animals and with the things that you have to do by going to the temple and these festivals that you have to follow and these celebrations that you must do and your prayers that are lifted up to God. And all your, all your life, your generations have been trying to appease God. And now... When Jesus Christ came, you saw that he has fulfilled the whole law. And so these Jewish people and everyone else who started to follow along started to realize this is what I need to do. And they recognized it. They saw it. Their eyes were opened. They saw Jesus in the Old Testament. They saw Jesus in the garden. When God said to the serpent, he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. This is this foretelling, this pre-evangelistic message that Jesus Christ was going to be crucified. He saw it, they saw it in, in Isaac as he carried the cross, or excuse me, as he carried the wood, which symbolized the cross, up to the mountain to be sacrificed. But God provided a sacrifice. They saw it in the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel. They, they see all through the Old Testament, in the kinsman redeemer, as we talked about last week, all through the Old Testament, the Jewish people and those that came to know Jesus Christ as Lord saw it fulfilled in the prophecies of what the Old Testament's talked about. You remember when Jesus Christ resurrected and, and, and the, there's two men that are going home to a place called Emmaus and, and it, they were downtrodden and they were sad because, well, you know, their, their leader, the person that they had given their life to, to, to follow, they, they were they were sad because all of a sudden he's gone. They killed him, and and it wasn't just anybody. It wasn't a, a mob in a sense to where, uh, you know, somebody just just went out and shot him in the head or or stabbed him or whatever. It was their religious leaders, those people that were supposed to know. I mean, it was like what happened. I mean, we really thought that this was going to happen. This this Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, he was the Christ. And, and, and now they're saying that he, res- he resurrected. You know, I, you know, they were just like, I, I can't believe this. This is happening. And on the way to Emmaus, a man comes up to them and says, well, what are you guys discussing? Oh, about the things that happened in Jerusalem. Oh, what happened in Jerusalem? They look at him and says, well, don't you know? Are you the only person that has not heard of what they did to our Messiah, our teacher, our rabbi? He was handed over to, to, to our, our leaders and they, they executed him. They crucified him. They killed him. And Jesus says to them, oh, you slow of heart. Don't you remember what Moses, the prophets, and the writings have said? And beginning from Moses all the way through, on the way home, Jesus Christ continues to expound on the scriptures. And the Bible says that their hearts were burning within. Their, the eyes of their heart seemed to have been opened. And, and as they heard and they read and they understood, and they, well, they weren't reading at that time, but you know they didn't have like flip phones to be able to see the scriptures. They didn't even have Bibles, but they knew the scriptures. And everything that Jesus, and this is the person that was with them, was Jesus, that he was telling them resonated with them. It makes sense. It, I understand and as they were on their way, they, they got home and he pretended to go on his way. And he says, they said, no, no, stay with us. We want to hear more. You see, this is the way the disciples in Ephesus and in the surrounding areas, they, they heard and they saw the eyes of their hearts were opened. And they got to see Messiah in the Old Testament. Let me go back to the story I was sharing with you about these two men to Emmaus. And they, they sat down and they said, have some food with us. And they gave him the bread and he gave thanks. And the moment he broke the bread, their eyes were open. 
Oh, wow. You know, it's like, that was Jesus. That was the Christ. And their eyes were opened. They could not see him because of their sorrow. They could not see him because of the injustice that had been done. They could not see him because, well, there was so much pain and agony, and they were so wrapped up in themselves. And of course, we got to understand that God also kept their eyes closed until he revealed himself to the disciples. A very important, a very important lesson to learn here, beloved. Number one, scripture is more important than the experience. Scripture, the, what the Bible says, is way more important than what you feel, even today. Some of you might feel like, ah, you know, let's see if I can get encouraged. Let me see if I can get, ah, I, just, I don't feel it. I just don't feel it. Your feelings, beloved, and, and I mean this in a very nice and gentle way, have nothing to do with your commitment to Christ. As a matter of fact, God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. These guys, as I mentioned, downtrodden, busted. I mean, every, their hopes had been shattered. The one thing they needed, the one thing they needed was, was encouragement. They needed to, to see Jesus. He was there. And he didn't show himself. Many people come to church and they want to see Jesus. They want to feel Jesus. They want to embrace Jesus. They want to hold Jesus because that's, that's what I need. I need my heart to be filled. Not open just filled just make me feel good and Jesus could have done that but he withheld himself because the priority was the word of God Moses the prophets the writings he had a Bible study with them you want to see Jesus you want to experience Jesus get into the word he's right here this is where he's at show me God show me speak to me and God is saying here it is Here's your word. Here is the experience. Here is the truth. And what these people in Ephesus, what they did is they they got into the word. They experienced the word. They saw who Jesus Christ was. They went back to the Old Testament. Yes, yes, yes. And, And they started to, yes, that's him. And they had their faith. They placed their faith. The Bible says, Paul says, I have heard of your faith. I've heard, you know, this is not just something somebody called or, you know, it's all over the place that you guys are really getting this. Now, I might be getting a little excited here because as a pastor, (laughs) that's one of the things that you, the congregation, it would just just help a pastor tremendously. If he were to hear, you know, these these, you can tell these guys are Christians or or just see it. Paul says, "I, I heard of it. I've seen it. This excites a pastor more than anything else. The fact that you have been living out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that you're healthy. Not that you're getting miracles. Not that you're, you know, those things are great. They're good. But it's your faith in Christ. And let me take a little side note here. Because I, I've preached this message before uh, in Luke. Uh, these, these men going to Emmaus. The very first thing they did is they ran all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, this was a journey, and they ran, and they ran as hard as they could, and they got there. They busted up the doors, and they said, we've seen the Christ. We've seen Jesus. He was speaking to us, and he was telling us about the prophets, and he, he shared everything to us. And as soon as they gave testimony, as soon as they gave witness to what happened in their life, Jesus Christ shows up, and Jesus says, you guys run fast. You guys outran me, no? They didn't run fast. They didn't outrun Jesus. Jesus was always there. Can I get an amen on that? He was always there. But again, he did not show himself until the testimony was given. You want to see Jesus? Give testimony to what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. And this is what the people in Ephesus were seeing. This is what the people in Ephesus were accomplishing and being able to grasp. And beloved, I know that the world just seems to have this ugly hold on our, on us and our kids and, and our country and the world. And it's hard to see God working through all this, but, but there is this hope that I'm going to talk about here. There is this hope, not this I wish type of hope, but when the Bible talks about hope, it's an expectation. It's what's going to happen. We are expecting this to happen. 
There is this hope. Paul says, you know, not only have I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but your love toward one another. We have to show love to one another. Now, does that mean I have to like them as well? Well, you know, you might not like their quirks. You might not like what they say, the things that they do. It's okay. But your love needs to be evident. Amen? I mean, we, we say, I love you. Some people even say, I love you in the Lord. I'm trying to get really spiritual. I, I really don't like the guy, but I love him in the Lord. Now, have you heard what he said? Have you seen what he's done? Eh, you know, but, but I love him in the... No, that's not the way Jesus loves you. God loves you. Unconditional. We must love one another. Paul tells the people in Philippi, in your outlines, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Loving one another. And for us, that word love, it just doesn't seem to have a good meaning for us. Because we have, we use that word and we throw it around all kinds of ways. You know, I, I love pizza. I love my dog. I love my mom. I love my spouse. And in Greek, there are three different words, or at least, well, there's at least five or six, but there's at least three in the New Testament that are used to express this kind of brotherly love or this affectionate, uh, intimate sexual love. And then this love that God has for us, this unconditional love. That's the love that is used here. Love everyone, the believers, the saints. You love the saints unconditionally. Now, saints, some of you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't see any saints around here. That's not what we're talking about. The word saint always means a believer. Not one of these people that you see on on pictures or uh, statues. People have sainted certain people, and it seems like those are the only people that are saints. No, you're a saint. Every one of you are a saint. I'm Saint Sal. That's Saint Ken back there. And, uh, you know, Lee. Saint Lee. We, we have, thank God we don't have a guy named Bernard here, right? We'd, we'd have to call him Saint Bernard. But uh, we don't call them saints anymore. But when Paul says, and you read it in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, saints is a believer. And when Paul says, love the saints, Love the, love the brotherhood. Those that are incorporated into the body of Jesus Christ. Now you've probably heard, you gotta love everybody. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us that even God doesn't love everybody. He hates the wicked. He hates those that are against his son. And his, his wrath is gonna be poured out on those that he despises. And we, you've heard it said, love the sinner, but hate the sin. The problem with that is that, beloved, when Jesus Christ returns and God establishes his kingdom, it's the sinner that's going to get sent to hell, along with the sin. And we cannot make light of sin any longer. When sin is sin, it's sin. And we love those that have committed their life to Christ, those that are within the fellowship of the believer. Yes, it's exclusive. Yes, it's a one-of-a-kind membership. Now, we do love a brotherly love, Phileo. We do love our brother, you know, our brothers around us. We do love those that are around us. You know, we, we love our spouses. We have that kind of a storge love, which is a friendship love. That we, there's, there's those types of loves that we have for people. If you want to love pizza, you can love pizza as well, but don't do it unconditionally. Please don't do it that way. We have love for those around us, because it's that type of love that, that enables us and gives us the desire to share the good news with those that we love. You know, I really do have this deep bond of friendship with you. I want you to know Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to be part of the fellowship and, and, and to love you unconditionally. But right now, I, I have to love you with the condition, because if you were to die and go to hell, I, I, that's on you. You have to love to bring people into God's love. This type of love John talks about. He says in 1 John 3, 14, passed out of death into life because we love unconditionally the brothers. You can include sisters in there too, okay? It's everybody. The brethren, whoever does abides in death is what John said. In Revelation 2, 4, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And it's interesting because Jesus is talking to seven cities and he writes seven letters. And one of the letters is a letter to Ephesus, the book that we're reading right now. 
And the people in Ephesus, they had strong doctrine, they had strong desire, they had, they, they hated the Nicolotians. They hated the things that they were doing, the practices that they were doing. And Jesus says, you know, I commend you for your doctrine, for your teaching. I, I commend you for that. But one thing, the one thing that you have lost is your desire to love. And you've lost your first love. And he tells them, repent and give back to that first love. He, beloved, have to give back to that first love, that first desire. When that happens, people will flock to that type of love. Because in this world, there is, there, there is no love the way God can love. And, you know, again, he says, 1 John 4, 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And, again, this is the Christian love, the, the brotherly love, the saints that we love, that, that Paul is talking about. Number two. Everything that we need is included. And it helps me to explain the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It helps me to explain the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul goes on to verse 17. He says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is not intelligence. Knowledge tells you that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom tells you, you don't put a tomato in fruit salad. Okay? You just don't do that. You don't put it on a fruit. I guess you could, but it just wouldn't taste good. Wisdom is, is being able to live out and to play out the knowledge that you've learned of Jesus Christ. A little bit later, we're going to read that Peter says, and continue to grow in the wisdom and then the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Continue to, to grow in that knowledge, understanding, but know how to put it into practice. And this knowledge and this revelation, revelation is the word that uh, is used, apocalyptus, uh, is to, to reveal. And the things that you learn, the things that you read from the scriptures, learn how to put them into practice. See, it's more than just information. Information without transformation is of no use. And we have to get the information to be transformed. And many of you know how to do this. You learn things, and all of a sudden you put them into practice. You learn how to drive. You learn how to work your smartphones. Some of, your, some of our phones are smarter than, than us. Uh, we've learned how to, well, you know, you name it. We've learned how to raise kids, I think. <laughs> We're trying there are a lot of things that we've learned along the way, and we put them into practice. But you cannot be coming to church after, uh, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, getting all this information, and then walking out of here and living the same life. It has to make a difference in your life. And Paul is saying, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give you that spirit of wisdom. And the spirit is, you already have the Holy Spirit. This is not another spirit that comes in. This is not another, it's kind of like when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, your condition, your, you know, it's like the spirit of good health, or we, we would say something to that effect. Paul is saying that I pray that your condition, your life, everything that you are about you, you understand this wisdom and this revelation and put it into practice in the knowledge of him. And so when you understand this, when you realize what Paul is talking about here, what Jesus Christ has done in your life, then what you do is you're able to explain this because not only do you know it, but you live it. It's hard to explain something that you really don't really know. It's hard to explain what it is you uh, have not experienced. You might be able to share some ideas and thoughts and some of you have probably even tried to share the Word of God with people. And it's just like, well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, and I know it says somewhere, and what did the pastor say? And, you know, and it's difficult to express that and to explain that. But when you have this wisdom and this revelation, some of you, some of you, and I've heard this from many people before, you know, pastor, there's times that I just don't know what to say. And it just, I just start, I pray in my mind and I start speaking. And, and by the time you know it, I'm done. And I'm looking back and I says, what in the world just happened? How did I do that? I go, because you've now experienced it. You've experienced it. You lived it. And now you're able to explain it. This is one of the most exciting things that a pastor can actually see in the life of his congregation is the faith that they have in Jesus and the love for the saints and the ability to explain what Jesus Christ has done in you and for you. 
Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. It's everything that we have. God has given us that ability, that power. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And what Paul has said to the people in Corinth, and the Corinth was a church that was all messed up, if you remember correctly. And what, what, what happened in Corinth was, was that the, the church just was not paying attention. The church was not giving their, their devotion to Jesus Christ totally. They, they, they came to church and they brought the world inside with them. They came to church and they continued on as if everything was okay. And Paul says, look, you don't receive that spirit. You don't bring the stuff that's outside in the world and bring it into the church. As a matter of fact, you bring what you have inside the church and you take it out into the world. And they just did not grasp that concept. Number three, back of your outlines. Everything's included. And when everything's included, you understand and you encounter the, his confidence and his power. This is really key. In verses 18 and 19, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness and his power toward us who believe according to his, according to the working of his great might. Do me a favor, if you have a pencil or a pen with you, underline those last few words. And what is the immeasurable underline or circle greatness and his power and his working and his great might. These are all powerful, explosive words. These are words that Paul just, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it makes a lot of sense to the people and as they were reading this. Greatness, this krato, this, this hugeness, this, this big, awesome God. He's given you this. This power, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, is coming for you you and is in you this working or energies is, is energia is the word where we get the word energy from and his great might think about these words what paul is saying think about what he's trying to get across you say i want you to have this confidence i want you to know this power i want you to have this ability to realize you can get through anything because you understand paul is people just telling the people in ephesus you understand you understand that these things that God has given you, this richness, this inheritance, what you're going to receive, you understand, and now you can walk through life. And he says, but I want you to open up your eyes even more so. The eyes of your heart, open the let them be enlightened. Let, let you, I want you to see more of Jesus Christ, that you may know this, this intimate knowledge, this understanding. I want you to know what is the hope, this hope. We hear this a lot in the New Testament. Some of you use it all the time. Well, I, I hope I can make it to church. I, I hope my finances work out at the end of the month. Uh, you know, I, I hope I can uh, keep my job. I hope I don't get sick. And that's how we use this word hope. And so when we see it in the New Testament, we think about, okay, what is this hope? What are they hoping? What are they wishing for? And, and in the New Testament, hope is not a wish or a desire or, you know, maybe something will happen, but hope is an expectation. Hope is something that will happen. Hope. Let me share with you. Some of you know this verse by heart, but in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, when, when the writer to the Hebrews is trying to explain faith, and if you've not read Hebrews, especially chapter 11, I want to encourage you to do so. Because right off the top in this chapter, in verse 1, the writer says, now, this is what faith is. I'm going to share with you what faith is, he's saying to the people. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance. This is what faith is. Faith is being assured uh, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, without any equivocation. You know that this is going to happen. Faith is the assurance. You have this assurance, it's 100% guaranteed because God never lies. It's the assurance of things hoped for, waiting for, anticipated, things that are going to happen. This is what faith is. You know, 
You know that what's going to happen is at the end of time, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to take his bride with him and the rest of the world is going to be demolished. It's just as simple as that. He'll return back for the martyred saints, for those that have committed their life to Christ during the tribulation. He'll establish his kingdom. We know that. That's the expectation. That's the hope. That's what we have this assured. Everything. So when you exercise faith, it's not faith in, you know, well, I, I have faith that God's going to provide. I have faith that, and he will, I, I have faith that these things are going to happen. But the faith that the Bible talks about is having this expectation that these things are going to happen. And the reason I asked you to go and read this, it, well, let me read the rest of it. And, and it's also the conviction of things not seen. So that's what faith is. You can't see it. If you can see it, it's not faith. If you know, if you have hands, it's not faith. This is an expectation, something that is going to come. And though you haven't seen it, you can't hold it. You have this assurance of knowing that this is going to take place. In this chapter, it's called the halls of the heroes or the heroes of faith. And it talks about all the things that these people had gone through. None of them saw what we see today. None of them saw what Jesus Christ came to do. None of them, all of them stepped out in faith. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us that that's the only way you can get saved is by faith. People in the Old Testament got saved by faith. People in the New Testament and today we get saved by faith. It's all, it always leads back to the cross. And then he goes on to say, uh, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's just, <laughs> I, I want you to read this. I'd like for you to read this portion of scripture and how people just acted out in faith, knowing that Jesus, that the Messiah was going to come. And in verse 32, I'm just going to quickly read this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or David, and Samuel and the prophets. So he's already given a hall, a list of people that walked by faith. And then he says, you know, I should be able to tell you some more about these guys who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, the powers of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Then he says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept, released so that they might rise again in a better life. Some were tortured. Some, and you know what? I'm not going to renounce Jesus Christ because there is a better life for me. Others, he goes on to say, suffered mockings and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Beloved, there's a time when this is going to happen. The persecution is already here. It's taking place throughout the world. And a lot of those people, according to those cultures and places that these Christians these, you know, are being persecuted, they think these guys are just dumb. Wandering around in caves, in sheep's clothing. These guys, their families are being cut in two, burned. That's just stupid. That's what faith is. To get you through any of this stuff. Hebrews chapter 11. Paul says, you know, when you understand and you recognize everything's included, you encounter his confidence. You encounter his power. As I said earlier, greatness, power, working, great might, all of this. And it's an immeasurable greatness. You can't measure this greatness. It's yours. It's included. And all, all you need to know is to have your eye, the eyes of your heart open. If you've not committed your life to Christ, then you're not going to get none of this stuff. I'm sorry. The, this promise are for those that they have seen for this reason, Paul says. For this reason, that you understand this inheritance. You understand what you've received. For this reason, you now can encounter this confidence and power. Some of us get all bent out of shape when somebody looks at us wrong. We get bent out of shape when we lose our job. We get bent out of shape because, you know, I can't make my finances stretch out all the way to the end of the month. Some of us get bent out of shape because, you know, our, somebody, one of our family members left us or somebody died. And please, I'm not belittling any of those things that you may be experiencing. 
Those are all real true things that happen. They happen in your life. But beloved, that's not the end of it. When you understand that everything is included, you are able to encounter this confidence and this power that Paul is talking about. Number four, you can experience his humility and his authority. Experience his humility and authority. He goes on to say, let me back up a little bit. According to the working of his great might, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. When, when you understand that things included, you will experience his humility. See, Jesus Christ was humiliated beyond measure. He was stripped naked, as you know. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson did a very good job of going to the first century era and investigating on how these crucifixions were done. We would not know how crucifixions were done if it wasn't for outside sources like The Passion of the Christ, like some of the other books that had been written prior to that. One book that really brought a lot of attention to me about the crucifixion was a book, and I forget what the author's name was. It's a very old book, but it was uh, a doctor at the, a doctor at the foot of the cross, or at the crucifixion. And what, what this physician did is he took it from a physish, uh, physiological standing and looked at what took place in a person that would experience this crucifixion. And the one article that he had, he had this, what they call the Turin, the, uh, no, excuse me, the Shroud of Turin. And the Shroud of Turin was supposedly the shroud that covered Jesus Christ right after he died. And the marks that were left behind from the blood, supposedly, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they took that mark, that, that, uh, that shroud and they hid it and it was found in a place called Turin. And so for, for all these years, it has been believed that that was Jesus' shroud. And it has been protected for all these years. Now, again, I don't know if that's true or not, but the, the one thing that this physician was able to see was the effects of what happened to a person that was crucified. They saw this uh, on the top of the head. They saw this crown, and it seemed like, and, and the, these, uh, the blood that was coming out. And they were able to see the, the remains of the blood stains of his hands and his feet and the, the lashings and everything else that just seemed to have penetrated through this shroud. And so as he investigated this, he says, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what happened. And uh, that he was really just pierced, not in his hands, but it had to be in his wrists to be able to hold him up. And, and the, the spear in the side and, and how it brought out the water. And, and, and in his uh, expertise, he says, you know, that, that does happen. People's hearts get filled. The, 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 the pericardium cardigan that, that sits around the heart, there's a sack of water, and, and it seems to get inflamed, and the water just seems to accumulate even more so, and the, and the heart just, it's hard for it to pump. And it turns into water. It turns into this clear liquid, not necessarily water. And when that happens, it, what, what takes place is that the, the heart stops beating. Jesus Christ literally died of a broken heart, and it's happened. People under duress and stress, they, they would, they would, their heart would start to pump in such a manner that, that it causes your blood vessels to, to pump really hard, and the capillaries, the smallest vessels in your body that are attached to your skin and feed your skin and all these other organs, they just seem to expand and as they're going through your skin and these capillaries are expanding, they rub alongside the, the, the thousands and thousands of uh, these sweat glands that you have all over your body. And so as they rub, they burst, causing this pain. And if you remember correctly, Luke, the doctor, the physician, stated that Jesus Christ was sweating like drops of blood. The hematidrosis that happens in a person, it happens in people that are, that are in this anguish and this pain and, and just this suffering that they're going through. And so we don't know much about the crucifixion in the Bible except for outside sources. And, and when they crucified Jesus Christ, they humiliated, and that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a humiliation, not necessarily an execution, which ultimately that's what happened. But they would try to keep these individuals alive as much as possible. Crucifixions were a dime a dozen. 
By the time Jesus was about 15 years old, uh, the this Jewish revolt came up, and the Roman soldiers stomped them, and, and they crucified almost 3,000 people in one day. In one day, and there were 3,000 crucifix all over the place, and people were just hanging. Some of them were crosses, some of them were X's, some of them were T's, some of them were just stakes. But the, por- the point is, is that the crucifix, and you know, it, it, it's, it is kind of difficult to, was it a cross? Peter calls it a stick or a tree. It was wood. Jesus was executed. But the Bible's not very clear as to how it happened, but the outside sources tell us that these types of crucifixions happened all the time. There were over 30,000 crucifixions in the time of Jesus Christ alone. Alone. And they were designed to show people, you don't go up against the government. You don't, because this is what happens to you. When you go up against the government, this is what happens. They humiliate you. They put you on this cross. They scourge Jesus Christ, the Bible says. They flogged him with the cat of nine tails. This cat of nine tails is a piece of wood about this long and had these strips of leather with bones and, and pieces of metal tied to the end of them. And, and the, the metal, the pieces of metal were designed to tenderize your back so that these bones and the shrapnel that was tied onto them would just rip the back or the front of a person's body. And this blood that was just being poured out and poured out and, and this, this crown of thorns that was placed on his head. And the Bible says they took his staff and they hit him and they hit him and they hit him. They plucked his beard. They spit on him. They blindfolded him and asked, okay, prophesy to us. Who hit you? And these were all taunting games that the Roman soldiers did to everyone to humiliate them even more so. And then ultimately hang you on a cross naked in front of everybody to see That's what happens to you. And the worst part of it all, the pastors of that day, the Pharisees came by. He says he's the the Christ. Come on, bring yourself down. You healed everybody. Come on, bring yourself down. Let me see. Ah, I eat nothing. And people just laughed and scoffed at who he was. Ultimately, just a few people remained. Humiliation, beloved, you will never be humiliated more than Jesus Christ was humiliated. See, Paul says, according to the working of the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, you too will be raised from the dead. You will experience this type of treason in your life. Was Jesus misunderstood? Yeah. Guess what? If you become a believer of Jesus Christ and a follower, you're going to be misunderstood as well. Was, was Jesus tortured? Yeah. Well, guess what? If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you might be tortured as well. Maybe not in the same manner. The people are going to say something to the effect of, you know what? Why do you go to church? We're having a party today, but I got to go to church. Man, what's wrong with you? You know what? Or the persecution can come in this manner. Somebody invites your kids over to a birthday party. Or they invite you to a birthday party. But you know that the party that they're going to have is just not a party that you want to be a part of. You definitely don't want your kids there to experience and see everything that's going to happen. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I just can't, I just can't make it. Why not? Well, you don't want to lie. Well, it's just, and if they keep pushing, you know, this is just not a party that I want to be a part of. What are you think you're too good for us? <laughs> it's going to happen. If they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to you. But Jesus says, in this world, you will experience troubles. Fear not, for I have overcome the world. You see, he is resurrected. And, and you get to see and understand how God worked that in him. Through the whole scourging process, through the whole crucifixion, God was punishing Christ for my sin, for your sin. And on the cross, God just unleashed the wrath, the anger, and the, the, all the punishment that he wanted to give to you and to me. He gave it to Jesus. And when I committed my life to Christ, when you commit your life to Christ, you receive His righteousness. You receive redemption, what we talked about last week. You receive everything that you're getting right now that we're talking about, this confidence, this authority. Because with Jesus, He was resurrected and He now sits at the right hand of God. He sits at the right hand of God. In the heavenly places, far above rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. Paul himself, and this is my prayer for you as well. I pray that we can come to this same conclusion as Paul says in Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Sal. You just explained the very graphic and gory details of Jesus' crucifixion. And you want us to go to that extreme as well? Bottom line, beloved, whatever it takes. I pray it doesn't come to that, but whatever it takes to separate ourselves from the world. Because Paul himself, and he's telling us that I know him and the power of his resurrection. That power, that authority, that strength, that might... All of that you have been given. And the last thing I want to share with you is I, I need to exist. Once I understand that, understand what the, the, that it's all included, I get to exist under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians verses, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everything is placed underneath him. He is the head. He is Lord. The part of this portion of scripture, or I guess the word Lord, does not make sense to us. We just take it as Lord and Savior. We even say it together. Yeah, he's my Lord and Savior, as if it's one thing. He cannot be Savior if he's not Lord. And many of us want the Savior part. None of us want to go to hell. But we don't want the Lord part. I don't want him telling me what to do. You know, I want to run my own life. I, I, I'm going to heaven on my terms. You know, and, and you know, Jesus, you can tell somebody else what to do. But being Lord meant a lot to the people in the New Testament. They had lords over them. People that would boss them around and tell them what to do. They would hire themselves. Actually, they would sell themselves to masters. They would sell themselves to masters to be able to share, to give these people the the ability to tell them what to do. And they lived under their household. That's my Lord. And if he says, go get me some water, I go get him some water. If he says, go feed the animals, I go feed the animals. If he says, get my bed ready, I go get the bed ready, make food. Whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, I will do it. And so when, when Jesus came along and the apostles came along, says, you got to make him Lord. Well, I already got a Lord. Yeah, but you got to make him Lord of every. Well, okay, that, I can do that. I'm already doing it here. They understood it's like the boss of your life, the CEO of your life. But, you know, you've already gotten paid because you already got it all. <laughs> you got your benefits and everything. It's done. The bad part for some of us is that, well, we have to wait until we get there to see it. That's where faith comes in, of this expectation, this hope that we're going to get. See how it all ties together? I need to exist under lordship. If he's not lord of your life, then he's not lord at all. Now, you can't make him Lord of the world because he already is. Every knee is going to bow one day. And I hope that yours is doing the bowing right now. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. See, it's not just saying, oh yeah, I can say he's Lord. No, it's doing and acting as if he is Lord all the time. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you'll be saved. Salvation comes after you've made him Lord of your life. You make him Lord, then you're saved. Many people just want to get saved. I just want to get saved. I just want to get saved. I got saved today. I, you know, I'm saved. I went to church. I got baptized and I'm saved. I said the prayer. I'm saved. What about lordship? Well, they didn't tell me anything about that. And you know, it's, that's the hard part. That's the one thing that's difficult for pastors and churches to get across. Because we don't want to push people away. We don't want to offend anybody. Okay, I, I know you don't like people telling you what to do, so just make Jesus your Savior. And we'll call Him Lord, but you know, just for right now, just get saved. Get baptized. Get yourself right with God and with everybody else. And then we'll work out the rest. And, and, and in a sense, we do. Because we really don't know the fullness of lordship. In every 
area of my life. And so we come with this desire, Lord, I want to make you Lord. We come with this understanding, I I know that you are Lord. Help me to submit to that Lordship. And I have to exist under the understanding that he is my boss. He's the CEO of this company. He is the one that calls the shots. He's the shot caller. And so this is why Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, but, con- but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. We need to grow in this. I'm still growing in this. And, and, but we come to it with an understanding, okay, He's going to have to be the boss of my life. He has to be the one that calls the shots. Not just in what I say, but in what I do. And see, Paul was all excited about these people at Ephesus. You guys, look, you guys have this faith that is, man, you guys are trusting that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. You guys are loving one another. I mean, it's just beyond understanding. It's just, I appreciate that. You're able to express and explain what God is doing in your life to other people. You know, and you have this confidence and this power that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And yes, you are being humiliated, but you also know you have the authority. And you're living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Back in your Bibles, uh, in verse 15, notice twice Paul says this in, in uh, just a few verses. In verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And then again in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus. Paul was making a point. Lord. He's Lord. He's got to be Lord. And for you and I, it's hard to understand Because we don't live under a king. We don't live under a monarchy. Well, at least not yet. We don't live under this monarchy where you have kings and lords and, and, uh, you know, ladies and, and dukes and whatever. And so it's hard for us to see what that is. But in the New Testament, it was understood. And so what we do is we strive and we go forward. We commit our life to Christ. And we commit our life to Christ stating, I want to make you Lord of my life. Help me to get that through with all this power and authority, with understanding and and the faith that that it takes to move these mountains in my life. Help me to get that in my life. Because that is why Jesus Christ died. Jesus didn't die on a cross to make you happy. Jesus didn't die on a cross to make everything go away. That's not why he suffered that cross. He died. Let me ask you to stand. There is salvation in no other name. We know that, Lord. And only in, by the name of Jesus, every tongue that confesses for you to be Lord, and every heart that believes will be saved. And Father, we know that. And it's easy to say it. Even the demons say they believe. And they have, and they have the good withal to be able to, to shudder. We say that you're Lord, but it doesn't even make us blink an eye. Lord, and I pray specifically for myself right now and anyone else that is struggling to make you Lord. And I know that there are many places still in my life that I still have to be submit myself to your Lordship. But for those that for the first time are hearing this and thinking about, how do I do this? Lord, I pray that you open the eyes of their heart, enlighten them, and share with them and show them that they don't have to do it because you will do it through them. And for anyone today, Lord, that has been cut to the heart and recognizes that I need to make you Lord, that they do it right now, right here at this moment, and follow through with baptism. The evidence of what it is that you're going to do. And so, Father, thank you once again for your word. When the church is excited about what you're doing, when the church gets excited about what you've done, and the pastor's uh, just excited about the love that is being shown to others and and the faith that they have to, to live life, Lord, it gives this church the ability to shine and to stand out beyond any other church. And Father, we want to desire, we desire to serve you. So I pray for every heart 
Lord, that you give us that repentance, that you help us to repent from the sin that we know that we're holding on to, and to believe in the name of Jesus, who is Lord and who is Savior. So, Father, I pray that that happens even now. Thank you once again, Lord, for just loving us and, and sending us in the, and leading us and loving us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. I'll be up here for a word of prayer if you'd like to come up. Please stick around. We have some refreshments afterwards. I'd like for you to kind of hang out for a little bit. Get to know each other. Thank you so much. <laughs>